Hey, entrepreneurs and entrepreneuresses. There's another special webinar coming up this Thursday, and it's being moderated by someone from the I Make a Living fam. Elaine Pofelt from season two of the show. Building a high revenue, one person business in challenging times. That's the topic. And it's time for us to get our money on, folks. If you're looking to learn how to identify new opportunities to scale your revenue, no matter what size business you run, click the link in the show notes and make sure you get their ASAP because the first 100 attendees will receive a free copy of Elaine's book, The Million Dollar One Person Business. Business. I have my copy right here. I read it often, highly recommend it, and highly recommend you attending this webinar. So make sure you click the link in the show notes to attend. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Damona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who could use a little extra joy in my life today. Marie Kondo tells us in The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up that you must sort through your stuff to leave behind only the things that spark joy. But what if you let this approach drive your career path? Well, my guest today is a living example of this. Ruth Elkanave is the founder of Joya, a company that is known for their line of superfood snacks and drinks. And here's Ruth on how she makes a living. I do my best to make a living bringing people wellness and joy every day through powerful, delicious foods. Mm. So simply and so powerfully said, you said joy. Is that why you called your business Joya? It's a it's a multiple level story. So we originally came up with the name doing this exercise that we... Uh, decided to do because we just, for a couple of weeks, we were trying and trying and couldn't come up with a name that felt right. So we made a list of all sorts of words that spoke to what we were trying to accomplish with the business and threw them into Google Translate and just waited to see if we'd get kind of like a cool exotic word in another language. And Joya popped up and it was this double electricity thing going off for me all at the same time because it happens to be my grandmother's name and her and my mom are the two people in my life that really, really instilled in me the power of food to bring people joy and, and you know, sharing a meal with your loved ones and friends and just that power that food has. Um, and at the same time, joy really encompasses in one word what we're trying to do with the business. And that's you know, bring people joy and, and wellness and make their lives better through food. So it was just, we came across it and on every level, it was the perfect word. Mm, I love that. I read that you started cooking at a pretty young age and I understand your grandmother was instrumental in sharing cultural knowledge and recipes and cooking techniques with you at the beginning. Most of my family's in Israel. That's where my parents are from. And I grew up in Canada but was lucky enough to get to spend kind of every summer growing up in Israel. So kind of two months every year. I was very close with my grandmother and I just loved being with her in the kitchen and spending that time with her and helping her. She was an incredible cook and would every weekend make these feasts. And the entire family, no matter where they lived in Israel, would come to her hometown and like 35 of us sitting around a table sharing these meals. It was so delicious. And I just enjoyed being 
not only part of the family eating it, but part of the process, you know, being with her in the kitchen, creating the meals. Yeah, that's really powerful. Also, considering we live in North America in such a, a melting pot. So being the the daughter of immigrants, and I'm sure there's the challenge for them in arriving to North America and wanting to retain that culture. Or maybe that was all that they knew how to, to cook at that point. Do you feel in some way responsible for maintaining the culture in cooking? Or are there other ways that you like to keep culture alive in your in your life and maybe in your business as well? That's a really good question. I never thought about it actually that way. I guess when I just think about foods in general, I mean, it's not just Middle Eastern food. I just feel like not only because we live both Canada and, and the United States and countries that are melting pots, but the world has really become a global community, right? With There isn't that divide anymore, regardless of the oceans in between us. And so I think that it's just such a beautiful way to experience other cultures and feel like you understand your neighbors better when you can share meals with them and share their history and culture through their food. So I've just always loved the power of food to bring people together in that sense, irrespective of my specific heritage. I think it's pretty clear that the joy of cooking makes Ruth happy. So surely she knew from a young age that she was going to be a chef and an entrepreneur when she grew up, right? Wrong. It took some time to come to this conclusion. You've taken a couple of different paths in your career. So you went to college, but then you studied at culinary school after college, but then did not follow that originally as a career path, correct? Yes, but it was never the plan. So I did my undergraduate degree and I was one of those people that had no idea what I really wanted to do with my life at that point. Almost all my friends went straight from college or undergraduate school to you know, med school, law school, teaching school, whatever they really wanted to do. And I kind of just graduated and sat there and said, I have no clue what I want to do. But all I know is I've been in school my whole life. I was about 21 and I felt like I was at the point in my life where I just wanted to work. Even if it wasn't the thing I was going to do forever, I just wanted to learn about life by doing. So I graduated and um, got a great marketing job. It's family business, actually. So family business in Israel is in the food industry. And we just launched our kind of veggie-based kind of nuggets, burgers, all these kinds of things in North America. And this was back, I mean, now it's the biggest thing with Impossible Burger and all these brands. But back then, (laughs) I mean, back then you couldn't get anyone who considered themselves a meat eater, like you couldn't even get them to try anything that they saw the word soy and they went running or it was, it was a very different time. When was this? 20 somewhat years ago. I was a vegetarian back then and I lived in Chicago and, you know, in the Midwest from a meat and potatoes place. I can imagine. It was like, what? (laughs) what do you mean you don't eat meat? So I would have been very open to it, but I know the world has shifted. So it was probably doing marketing. You had a big job trying to convince people to try your product. Yeah. And isn't so that's exactly it. It was a very challenging and interesting time to be doing marketing for a, a vegetarian brand. So I did that for a few years 
But after about three years, when I really started to realize, A, this isn't what I want to do forever, and B, if I'm going to go back to school, I better do it soon. I just kind of went, okay, I I still don't really know what I want to be. So I decided to do a combined law MBA degree. And I was signed up. I was enrolled. School was about to start kind of eight months out. And I suddenly had this moment where I said, culinary school is something I've been wanting to do for so long, just to take my skills to the next level, never as a career thing. And I kind of said, if I don't do it now, chances are I will never do it because I'm law school and then a lawyer, life will get crazy. And like, when will I ever be able to take six months out of my life and, and do something like this? So it was something that I just squeezed in right before law school, purely out of interest at the time. So what was that decision point when you got to the end of culinary school, even though you had gone in with the intention of, I'm just here to learn and enjoy this? Was there ever a moment where you said, maybe I shouldn't go to law school, maybe I should pursue this? How did you decide to stay on that path after having that amazing experience? Yeah, it actually wasn't even an issue for me at the time. So I'm kind of 90% head. I I rationalize everything. And I think I just already decided for myself that I didn't want to risk losing my passion for cooking by turning it into my nine to five. Again, that wasn't what I found sexy about cooking, right? For me, it's the artistry in it. But I was actually excited to start law school and start the next chapter. Go back to what you thought was real life at the time. What I thought, yeah. I never really wanted to be a lawyer. It wasn't the thing I wanted to do. But after four years of my life studying law, I graduated and you're kind of sit there going, well, it's nothing really else I'm trained to do right now. And then I got lucky enough to get kind of our equivalent of an internship at one of the top national firms. And so I did it. And then they offered me to come back as an associate. I just kind of fell into it and I was good at it. So I, I stayed for one, two, three, four. It just, it, I kind of stayed longer than I probably originally ever thought I would. When you're good at everything you do, it's hard to find something you're passionate about pursuing for the rest of your life. Ruth had a great run as a lawyer, and she was really good at it. But there comes a time when she just knew that being good at her day job just wasn't good enough for her. I just knew that I couldn't do it for another 10, 20 years. I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled. Like all the aspects of my life that are so important to me, the cooking and, and being active and and it was seeing friends and family. Like I was giving up all the things that were truly important in my life and it wasn't worth it for the money or, you know, for a job that yes, I was, I was good at, but didn't even really make me tick. It's a shame that we have to make that choice, you know, between having a job that we ultimately enjoy and just living a fulfilling and healthy life that must've been somehow in your mind as you were transitioning into beginning Joya and moving out of that lifestyle. Definitely not right away. And so I left and had heard about this program in holistic nutrition that was in Toronto and it was only a year. And I said, you know what? Why don't I do this for a year? It kind of brings together everything I love, wellness and food, and it'll just give me a year to, you know, learn something cool and think about what I want to do next. And also just as I was going through the program, within months of leaving the law, my body kind of shut down, like all that stress I don't know, my body somehow endured it while I was still there. But really, the moment I left and stopped, I just kind of went overboard. All that adrenaline that pushes you through. Yeah. And it really, 
threw me for a loop. Everything kind of just stopped working. Like my digestive system, my, all my hormones were out of whack. I had no energy. And so it was almost serendipitous that it was happening while I was studying nutrition, because as much as it was unfortunate and difficult, at least I was learning in school exactly about what was happening to me. And so I got it and I was patient with myself and all these modalities that I was learning about, I was actually able to apply to healing myself. That was kind of when I had this eureka business kind of moment where I said, wait a minute, there is something in food that I can and want to do, especially now that I have this personal connection to it. And because I had research and I looked for products on the market to use when I was sick and nothing felt right. Like there were products that I either knew weren't working or products loaded with other fillers and additives and, or the taste is so medicinal that you just didn't want to use them. And so that was when I had identified kind of that gap in the market. And I said, that's it. My culinary background, my nutrition background, I want to create products that are effective really people can use on their wellness journey and use every day, but that they're actually excited about using that are delicious and they're excited about working into their daily routine. And so that's kind of what Joya came out of. If Ruth's life were a monk episode, this would be the moment where everything comes together and the great mystery is solved. Let's look at the facts. Have you counted Ruth's career iterations and diplomas up to this point? She has an undergraduate degree, an MBA, a law degree. She's a trained chef and now also a holistic nutritionist. She has previous experience marketing a health product. And those are just the major life events that we've covered in this episode. The big mystery of Ruth's life was always, what do I want to do? And now she was able to take all of that and piece it together with a mind-body connection. I want to drive this home for our listeners who are likely many of them in the place where you were. They're running a million miles a minute. Like I'm sure as an entrepreneur, you can relate that you're sometimes always working. You always have deadlines. You always have people that you're serving. And it's very easy for health and wellness to be the first thing that falls off that list. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the signs that you might be out of balance and the ways that the products that you've developed actually work the way that the medicine can help heal some of those ailments, I guess, of modern life. So let me start by saying that our body and the different systems and organs in our body don't work independent of each other. Everything is interconnected, particularly all of our various kind of hormone glands. So when you're stressed and your body's constantly in fight or flight mode, everything else doesn't function properly because the body's prioritizing that fight or flight mode and anything that isn't like life or death, your digestion, your immunity gets kind of shoved off to the side. And then stress causes inflammation and all these other things that can lead to disease. And so our products are formulated kind of in this dual way, which makes them kind of support health very holistically. And that is that every product primarily provides adaptogenic support. And so adaptogens are this class of very well-studied herbs and functional mushrooms that have been proven to very specifically help the body develop this resistance to the effects of stress and has other benefits as well. But the reason all our products focus on adaptogens and being adaptogenic 
is because you can't really target all the other things that our products also target, digestion, immunity, cognitive function, if you don't first and foremost help that person unwind and be less stressed. It's, it's almost, it's a waste to try to deal with the other things if you're not dealing with the stress piece. You have a, obviously a really clear handle on what your product does, who it serves. How do you find your audience and how have you been able to scale it? I think a lot of our entrepreneurs that are listening, they're working, you know, in smaller batch production or with smaller client bases, but you're at the place now where you're really scaling it. You've kicked off a wholesale business development. Talk to me about how you've been able to find your audience and then grow that audience and the visibility for your product. So we're actually somewhere in between there. I wouldn't say we're quite yet at at the scaling. We just had our one year anniversary. It's been an interesting year to say the least to launch, you know, any, any first year of a startup is going to be challenging. And when you layer COVID on top of that, it's, it's been particularly challenging, but um, you know, I think COVID kind of forced us to put off launching our wholesale program a bit longer than we would have liked because retailers were just not looking at new products for a while. They were so bogged down trying to, you know, manage the situation. So it gave us a few extra months to really just focus on our own direct-to-consumer sales on our website and just communication, right? And just really honing into what people were telling us and what our consumers were, or our customers were sharing with us and, you know, discussions we were having on social media. I think it just, again, gave us an opportunity to really focus on that piece and learning about our customer. And now as we've kind of just recently really kicked off our wholesale program, so as we talk to retailers and just even plan our wholesale strategy, I think it's great that we have a year's worth of kind of experience and data going into that because it allows us to be a little bit more clear and certain about our core customer. And so it's just allowed us to clarify who that is and then start wholesale with a true focus on, you know, the channels that those people are shopping at. No one can do this alone. Especially at a time like this, it's important to identify partners that can get your message and product out to the world. Just taking a step towards identifying those connections created a little bit of magic that changed Ruth's business. Just before, or just as COVID was starting, and then we kind of had to put a pause on everything and revisit it, but we were just kind of about to kick off our wholesale pitching efforts. And I had my top list of five stores that I knew I wanted to initially pitch and get into. And I was probably five days away from kind of sending out my initial pitch emails. And one of them had reached out to me and it was just one of those experiences. I mean, A, it was just so great because you never, you know, even know if you're going to hear back from a pitch email. And it was so great to know that they already wanted it. But one of the buyers there had recently tried our products at an event that she was at and she really, you know, liked it and reached out. So very lucky. And it was just also one of those experiences because, you know, we get emails every single day about sponsoring events and collaboration opportunities. And they're not all great and they're not all kind of a fit, but even the ones that are great, you just can't do them all right. There's not a budget for everything. And it was this event that she tried our products at was honestly one of those that could have fallen through the cracks because it, you know, it wasn't a large scale event. And, but 
something made us just say, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's participate and let's give some product. And that just turned into this amazing relationship with a, a great retailer. So luck, chance, who knows? Can you talk to me about as you're marketing and growing, how do you decide like which of those opportunities, you know, I imagine, like you said, that one could have fallen through the cracks. And then there's other ways to market. Like, do you pay this influencer? How do you decide where to be? I'm sure you've, there've been some where you, you made the investment <laughs> and it didn't really pan out the way For that sure. you imagined it would. Definitely. It's hard. And yeah, like you just said, you're for sure, you know, you look back and not every decision you make is right. I think, again, and going back to what we said earlier about kind of really clarifying our target market, I think a strategy that we started to really implement, almost like the lens that we look at these opportunities through is you know, it doesn't matter if it's in the wellness space or if there's going to be big time people there, the profile we think about is the audience, our target market. Yes. You know, we want to be associated with big names and big, but if the end of the day, at least the majority of participants are not our true target market, then our money is better spent elsewhere. And same thing with influencers. And, you know, if the majority of their followers are not the people that right now we are truly trying to target, it's just not the right opportunity, at least not the moment. So I think that's one good lens. But again, even even once you apply that lens, I mean, there's going to be so many opportunities. And I just think part of it is, and again, there's no way to know for sure in advance, but just kind of trying to do a cost benefit analysis and thinking about firstly, how much does this opportunity cost? And if we do it, how much of our marketing budget for the quarter, whatever does that leave? And But for that dollar amount, kind of doing a comparative. So if we spend $1,000 on this opportunity, what might we potentially get out of it? Assuming it's a complete success, what could we get out of it? And then what else could we do with that $1,000? You know, work with five influencers or do some really big marketing campaign? Like it's kind of that comparative. And then which one do we think is the right choice right now? Yes. And obviously sometimes you make the wrong decision. Sometimes you have to guess if that person or that brand really aligns with your audience. Obviously, we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic. You have a business where, you know, you have to do production of your product. You will also, you know, have to ship things to consumers. You're probably doing meetings. How have you been able to adapt? And what is your policy really for your company on how to keep your employees and your customers safe? in the midst of COVID-19? It's an interesting one because we literally just launched a couple months before COVID hit. So this has kind of been our only reality. I have a manufacturing partner that's a pharmaceutical grade facility that creates our products, for example. And I mean, they've got all the procedures in place. I mean, even pre-COVID, you're talking about a facility that's a million quality controls and, and everything. So same thing with our fulfillment partner. They've got all the protocols in place that was probably a bigger adjustment for them than it is for me, but I knew I had a good partner and they were communicating to me what they were doing. So yeah, you know, COVID has affected us 
in in other ways, this crazy, crazy supply chain delays, which has partially delayed our our Canadian launch and our wholesale launch because we're like waiting on ingredients that are stuck in countries where the borders are closed and, you know, things like that, or the carriers like shipping, horrible shipping delay, which upsets consumers and it's frustrating for us as well. And so things like that. But I think in the big scheme of things, again, many people and many businesses have it way worse. And, And so far it's really just been yeah, kind of managing these delays, managing customers' expectations. And I think people are understanding, um, at least, you know, have been so far. Well, when you look at it, really, if you can launch a business in the midst of COVID, I think you could probably do anything. And I've loved hearing all of these stories of your family and how they've impacted you and all of the stops along the way of your career journey. I'm curious to know, the last or the best piece of advice that you've either gave or received? I was recently reminded to just be easy on yourself. And that applies on multiple levels. Like A, not everything is going to be perfect or right, right? You make wrong decisions and you learn from them, you know, or you're not going to always be sharp and not every day you're going to feel on or whatever, but you can't beat yourself up over every little thing. So it's just be patient and easy with yourself, especially in this world context now where there's already so much added stress. Just got to chill out and be easy on yourself. And I know it it's kind of sounds like a maybe simple one or easy one, but I actually think it's quite powerful and profound at the end of the day because stress, right? Like we just, the harder we are on ourselves, the more we set up ourselves for, I think, failure and disease and, you know, on so many levels. Listen, there's a lot of anxiety out there right now. Go easy on yourself and maybe consider taking a nap. There's a lot to do, but it's not going anywhere. And you're not going anywhere because there's a pandemic. Here are some more takeaways from Ruth. Take the road less traveled. We are all on the path to success, but the journey can be fun too. Be a lifelong learner and pursue your passions. Give yourself permission to have a little fun. Your inspiration is the sum of your experience and culture. Listen to your body. It will tell you when you've had enough and when you've been efforting too much in the wrong direction. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Do you find joy in what you do, but need a little support on the billing and paperwork side of things? Well, we have your solution. You can check out our exclusive offer that's just for our podcast listeners at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Our associate producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arizmendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. Let's connect. I'm on all of the socials at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. And do what sparks joy for you because it's your business. See you next week.